Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. So folks, I, um, I'm really privileged to share with you this this afternoon in my case this morning for some of you a word that um really really blessed me as i was i was praying yes i've been praying this week lord where do you want me to go but yesterday in a very short space of time as i was praying and waiting on the lord I, he took me in a very different direction than i intended but and i want to share a word with you again tonight which is is quite a simple one but i hope will just impact the way we think about ourselves in terms of ministering to one another in the gifts of the holy spirit as well as how we think about receiving ministry from different people within whatever context it is that we may be in we're in a season where the lord is speaking prophetically to his church and the prophetic word that's that's prevailing at this time and season as you all know i'm going to read it again isaiah chapter 60 verses 1 to 3 and it says this arise shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Behold, deep darkness, uh, sorry, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth, deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So the question that I, I kind of want to start with is going to be the title of my message today, and that is simply, who do you think you are? That may sound like a strange title, but as we start breaking it down today, we're going to realize how often we subconsciously ask this question, not just of ourselves, but of others. Who do you think you are? So let's start off with just this very scripture. We're saying this is our prophetic word for this time and season. But yet we all know when Isaiah spoke this word, he wasn't talking about you or me. He was talking about Jesus. He was talking about the Messiah who is to come, and this prophecy is fulfilled in him. So really, isn't this speaking about Jesus? How is it we get to just claim this for ourselves? Well, the truth is, you and I have become the expression of Christ to this world, and his life lives in you and I. And there's a really interesting um, passage of scripture in the book of Ephesians where Paul is praying for the church. And uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17 to 19, the first part of verse 19, says this. Paul's praying for them, and he says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? Three clear things there. He's praying that we have a revelation, but specifically that we may know the hope of his calling. In other words, you and I, we believe, have been called by God into the kingdom, called by God to be citizens of the kingdom, and thereby also called to be an ambassador. So when God calls you and me, he calls us with a hope. There is a hope that Jesus has for you. Um, we, we also talk about this hope that abides in earthen vessels. In other words, we have the spirit of God within us, but God is looking for something. And there is a hope that through us and through relationship with him, his life will be manifest and we will bear fruit. So the moment we become born again, that's not the end of the story. That's only the very beginning. And there is a hope in God's heart that we will begin to lay hold of and have a revelation of as Paul is praying for here. The wonder of Jesus Christ, the greatness of what he saved us from, the wonder of the authority that he's given us in his name with the hope that we will live in the victory that he's purchased for us, that we will be messengers of this gospel in the situation, in the spheres of influence that he places us and in the hope that we will manifest his name. So there's the first thing. There's a hope in the calling. Secondly, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? He's not speaking here about our inheritance. He's speaking about his inheritance. You and I are Christ's inheritance. The Bible says that he was the firstborn among many. 
the inheritance, the blessing for the for, for giving of his own life is your soul and my soul. But not just that, it's all the other souls that will come into kingdom, come into relationship with him through you and I. And then finally, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? And so there's this hope of the calling that something's going to happen in us and through us with great power. Now, this is New Testament language. If we take this back to the verse we've just read here, let's just read this from our New Testament perspective and bring this into our own experience. Arise, in other words, awaken. And what he's talking about here is a change of spiritual posture. To awaken here or arise means to wake up, to, um, to, to, to perhaps you've been reclining, perhaps you've been apathetic, perhaps we're indifferent. Perhaps there's been a season of spiritual numbness where you're neither in, you, you, we become indifferent about God and about the things of God. We're not passionate, but we're also not, you know, we're not, we're not apathetic. But is it this call to arise, to awaken and to shine? What are we going to shine? We know that out of us comes nothing good unless it's birthed and, 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 and authored by Jesus and his spirit to shine the light that has come. Jesus's light, the light of the Holy Spirit, because his glory and that power has risen upon you and I. And we know that we're sitting in a world that is filled with darkness and that the people are covered with darkness. In other words, they cannot see, but that the Lord has arisen over you and I and his glory will be seen upon you and I. That is the hope of the calling or the of, of Christ's call on your life, that his glory will be seen upon you and I. That what a great calling. And that Gentiles will come to our light, which is actually his light through us. You see, the, the hope of Christ's calling on our lives is that we would accurately represent his father, Father God, just the way he did. That is the hope. That as we catch a revelation that would, of who he is and of his love, we would be so changed that we will begin to see the world from his perspective and to be able to live and interact with the world the way Jesus did. And that hope is, as, is alive regardless of the, of the circumstances we find ourselves in, even when things don't go the way we might expect. And at this point, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4 because I want to show you that we so often uh, have expectations based on the life of Jesus. For example, uh, the Bible says, Jesus said to his disciples, the works that I do, you will also do, and greater works than these you will do. You will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. You will do all of these things. And we sometimes feel that when we're not seeing the full manifestation of those things, maybe we're doing something wrong. Maybe there's some, so the circumstances aren't what we expect them to be, and things aren't going necessarily the way we expect them to. But I want to show you that this is not just common to you and I. Here in Luke chapter 4, and we're going to start reading from verse 14. We're going to read all the way through to verse 30. We have the story of Jesus coming into his hometown, and it says this. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. Let's pause for a second, just for some context here. Jesus had just been baptized by John. Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove, affirmed him, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. So you've got identity, you've got affirmation, you've got affection being poured out from the Father to the Son. After that, Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and nights, the devil found no opportunity to break through. He left him, he departed from him for a more opportune time. And it's after that, once the angels had ministered to Jesus, that he now comes. This is where we pick up the story. So Jesus has just spent 40 days fasting with God in the presence of the spirit, battling the devil himself. It says he returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So there we see it. Incredible things are happening in Galilee. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up and read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, are, are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Again, just for context, what that means to the Hebrew mind is the year of Jubilee. Once every 50 years, all debts are canceled. Uh, and, and people are, are liberated from, from slavery. And all, the year of Jubilee is the year of cancellation of debt and the year of freedom. Then he closed the book and gave it to the attendant and sat down. By the way, just some more context here. That prophecy in, in, Eli, in the book of Isaiah was clearly intended to be, by, it's a prophecy by which they would have identified and recognized the Messiah. And when he went to go sit down, he went to go sit down in the seat that was reserved for the Messiah when he came. And he went to go sit down and he said. And he sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Why? Because he went to go sit in that seat. And then he said. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing and in so doing in his own hometown. He affirmed himself as the long awaited prophesied Messiah. And so all bore witness to him and just listen to their initial response. They marveled at the gracious words which proceeded from his mouth. So here Jesus sat in this chair and began to teach them. And they marveled at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. They sensed something was happening. There was something marvelous in the way he spoke. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, you will surely say this proverb of me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in our country. Then he said, assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath. In the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow, not even a Jew. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Again, not of the house of Israel. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. And they rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. So by the way, this is generally the preamble to a stoning. Uh, they were saying this is absolute blasphemy. They didn't mind him saying he was the Messiah. But when they caught wind of the idea that he was saying, yes, I am the Messiah. But, um, you know, you guys may not even receive what I've come to give because of your hearts. And that really upset them. So they took usually the way was that they would push somebody off the cliff when they fell down into the ditch. They would pelt them with stones. And verse 30. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. Now, here's what I want to some things that I want to highlight with you. Jesus himself comes in the power of the spirit into his hometown. He has this incredible moment where he affirms himself as the, as the promised Messiah, sits down in the chair and the people marveled at what he had to say. Then the people reasoned. Isn't this the carpenter's son? And then suddenly everything changed. As soon as their perspective changed, everything changed. They no longer received anything profitable from Jesus. Isn't this the carpenter's son? How dare he speak to us this way? Where did he get these big ideas and these big teachings from? Who, you know, who does he think he is? And there's that question. And I want to say to you that if we truly want to see God moving among us and the gifts of the spirit in operation in our lives and in the settings we are part of. We need to be willing to humbly open our hearts to those around us through whom God may wish may wish to minister. Because sometimes we don't mind if it's the pastor. We don't mind if it's someone with a spiritual title or somebody with authority. But who's this guy? Who does he think he is? Who does she? think she is to be speaking things over my life or to be saying things into my situation. 
And sometimes, folks, we even think that of ourselves. Who am I to say anything into this situation? Who am I to speak? You see, this is why Holy Communion, kinonia, as, they, as it's known, in, as it's spoken in Greek, is so important. It's that communion, communion, that fellowship, that oneness within the body of Christ, that togetherness, which is so vital. Because where strife and division and offense and, and, and envy and self-seeking and self-promotion exist, all of these things get in the way of what God may want to do through the one, through another, through the body to whom he wishes to and through whom he wishes to manifest himself with various gifts in various ways. You see, folks, there are some things that because of your mindset and because of your upbringing and because of the strongholds in your own way of thinking, you are unable to receive. God wants to minister to you through somebody else who has that window open. We all have them. We all have our blind spots. I don't care how spiritual you are. I don't care how well you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. All of us have our blind spots because none of us have entire revelation. None of us have all got it all down pat. You see, the problem that we have is that all too often we allow the wrapping to determine the value of the gift inside. You cannot determine the value of what is inside somebody by looking at the wrapping, just like you cannot determine the value of a gift by looking at the wrapping paper or the size of the box. And we know this is so clear from, from that scripture when Sam, the prophet Samuel is sent to go and anoint the next king of Israel. Uh, 1 Samuel 16, God says, how long are you going to mourn over Saul? I've already appointed the next king. Go down and anoint him. And so he send him, sends him to the house of Jesse. And uh, he goes to Jesse's house. And, and 1 Samuel 16, 6 says, it was when they came that he looked at Eliab. This is one of Jesse's sons and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He looked at this guy. He must have been big. He must have been strong. He must have been handsome. He must have looked the part. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. Listen to that. But I want to say to you, if you're listening to me today because you believe in Jesus, because you are born again, God has not refused you. God has chosen you in as much as God has chosen David, in as much as God has chosen Samuel, God has chosen you. Because you are born again and you are anointed with the spirit of God. The verse goes on to say, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And it's amazing. They continued to bring his sons. He brought seven of his sons before him. And eventually they said, is there not another one? They said, well, it's just David, but it couldn't be David. He's out in the field looking after sheep. And he came in and apparently he was ruddy and good looking and bright and bright eyed. And God said, this is the one. This is the one that I have chosen. Folks, if God has chosen you, the opinions of men is relevant. Do you get that? If you are born again and if God has placed you in a position of influence within your family, within your workplace, he has chosen you. And therefore, the opinions of men is irrelevant. Promotion does not come from man. It comes from God. The power to win souls does not come from your gifting or your ability. It is the power of Jesus Christ in the Holy Spirit working through you and I. That's why God says, arise, shine, for the glory of the Lord has come upon you. And I've chosen you to bear it. And I've chosen you to shine. One of my favorite songs from, you see, I've got young girls, Mary Poppins Returns. Uh, there's a song there that says the co a cover is not the book. And this is the chorus. It says the cover is not the book. So open it up and take a look. For under the cover, you'll discover that the king may be a crook. Chapter titles are like signs. And if you read between the lines, you'll find your first impression was mistook. For a cover is nice, but a cover is not the book. And it's a great little rhyme. Uh, I just, just by the way, I have read the book. The king is not a crook. In this one, it's all good. But uh, there are a lot of crooked kings in it. But the king, he's, he's all good. He's all good. But I want to say that this truth, in the case of that we just read through in Jesus' example here as well, we often think of this as those people out there. But I want to say the same truth applies in our closest relationships. 
I'm at, my kids are at an age now. I've got two girls. The one is 10, the one is seven. They absolutely value what their teachers say way above what their parents say. If their teacher says it, it's gospel truth. No matter what mom and dad may say, no, you know, that, it's irrelevant. Miss so-and-so says. That means it's just the way it is. Which if you're smart at parent-teachers meetings, you give the teacher a few cues and she says things to your kid and she comes home and she says these wonderful things and you go, really? Well, that's wonderful. And so you use it to your advantage. But a little later in their life, uh, it's going to be the peers who hold that, in, that place of influence. And truth be told, we, we do the same. In other words, the package of their parents that something happens in their hearts as they grow older, as we all grow older and we want to be more independent, that we don't pay so much attention to that anymore. And uh, the truth is, folks, those of us who are married, we do this with our spouses too, forgetting that God is able to speak through them. It's not always them. It's also God speaking through them. And sometimes some of the, the words of greatest wisdom have come through my wife. And uh, I've tried my best not to look shocked. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Very often, I can hear God speaking through my spouse. In fact, the reason God gave me her, Helen and I, for those of you who know us, are very different. We are polar opposites in virtually every single way. And that's God's grace because I needed that to balance me. And she needed the difference as well to balance her. But the way I receive her and the way I receive what she says, you know, folks, we, we, we think and we like to believe that we are the most open to our spouses. I've come to learn in ministry that very often that is exactly the opposite. In the same way that because we're so familiar with them, because we're so familiar with their weaknesses, we dismiss what, what, what comes through them as that couldn't possibly be from God. But if we are sensitive, God can speak through anyone and god can speak to anyone through us if we too are willing to be sensitive matthew 10 verses 41 to 42 jesus sums up this principle i'm going to read from the english standard version he says this the one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward and the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward and whoever gives to one of these little ones a cup of cold water because he is a disciple truly i say to you he will by no means lose his reward what is he talking about here in essence he's not talking about titles and positions of authority he's talking about showing honor and attributing value to men through whom he wishes to do wonderful things and even the giving the act of kindness of giving a glass of water to a fellow disciple god says that's not going to go unrewarded but for a glass of water to be given, it needs to be both given and received with the right attitude. You see, unless you and I receive a vessel the way God sends them to us, we can't receive the grace it contains. If I reject the gift because of the packaging, I don't get the contents. Now, the people of Nazareth in this story marveled at Jesus' teaching. But as soon as their skepticism kicked in, it robbed them of his desired impact they affirm in the scripture jesus words were full of grace what is grace it's his ability working in us to do that which we are unable to do so they recognized the power of what he was saying but the trouble came when they could no longer identify the work and the power of god in what jesus was doing because their estimation of him had changed and here is what Jesus wanted to do for them. He articulated it himself so clearly. I've come to bring good news to the poor. I've come to heal the brokenhearted. I've come to liberate the captives and those who are oppressed and give recovery of sight to the blind and to declare the year of Jubilee. And yet, because of their own pride, he could do none of those things in their midst. Sometimes there are people that God wants to work through in our lives, but our own perceptions bind them. God can't release the good that he wants to do for you and for me because of our own attitudes of resentment, whether it be to that person or to somebody else or our bitterness or our unforgiveness or our pride 
that we are unwilling to receive through a particular vessel in a particular way. Now, I want to give you some responses to, to this principle that I'm sharing with you today. And I first want to start off with some wrong responses. Here are some things we should not do in light of this revelation. Number one, the first thing we should not do is now walk around with some kind of expectation that everybody should now listen to me. Oh, I've been waiting for the pastor to preach a word like this because, man, I've got so many things I want to say to so many people. Now they've heard it. They're going to have to listen to me. Uh, no, we, they're, 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 we've turned this on its head and we really made uh, we, 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 we pervert the whole thing all over again. Why? Because godly influence must be freely received. It cannot be demanded. I, I cannot come into somebody's life just because I bear some kind of title and say, now you have to listen to me. There will always be free will. God himself never forces his opinions or his, or his uh, commandments on anybody. He makes them available. He makes his stance quite clear, but he always leaves it up to the individual. Not everybody's going to listen to you. That's okay. The thing I want to say, which is a wrong response to this message, be to randomly and openly and freely just receive everything that everyone now says. Oh, no, no, no. We must be more open to people. Yes, that's what I am saying. But at the same time, discernment is still necessary. Understand that where the spirit of God flows, it flows through flesh and flesh is still fallen and flesh can still pervert the message and we can still get things wrong. And I want to say it's okay to get things wrong, but we need to exercise discernment. Have an open and a humble heart, but not just receive everything. Sometimes when we begin flowing in these things, we are well intended, but we're ignorant or we just get things wrong. And I also want to say to you that certain God-ordained relationships will rightly carry a higher level of influence than others. That is still good and that is right and that is proper. The other thing that I want to caution you about when it comes to, 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 to receiving ministry through other people is this. We need to be careful not to make the mistake of assigning motive to what God wants to speak through somebody because of our own cynicism of that person. Oh, they're just trying to make themselves look important. They're just trying to be spiritual. This is some kind of power play. or you know, they just want my money or they're just showing off. They're trying to get me to do something for someone. We assign, we're very quick to assign motive to people. And Jesus warns us about this. That's what he means by don't judge. Do not judge. Do not assign motive. You do not know somebody else's heart. So don't judge. You can judge a tree by its fruit, but don't, don't ever try to judge motive because we get ourselves into a lot of trouble that way. And, and, and really, finally, I want to say the thing we shouldn't do is we need to avoid a critical spirit. Being critical of other people, of the way that they may do things, of the way that they may ex even express their gift um, that God has given them. You know, we, we tend to want people to prove their credentials before we'll take them seriously. We, we're critical of them until we've seen certain things. But this is exactly what the people did to Jesus. And this is exactly what stripped him of the ability to, to do anything meaningful in their lives. In knowing the attitude of their hearts, we remember Jesus said, you're going to say this proverb to, proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we've heard done in Capernaum, do heal so, here also in our country. They wanted Jesus to prove his claims at, uh, with miraculous signs. Okay, so who, who do you say you are? But you're Joseph's son and you want us to believe you. No, no, no. Do those things you did in Capernaum. Show us. Show us those things that you did. Then maybe we'll listen. Then maybe, you know, prove your credentials. It's interesting that they, he did give them a miracle, but not the one they were expecting. The miracle was how he managed to just suddenly vanish and he disappeared through the crowd and nobody knew where he was. They got their miracle, but it's not what they expected. I want to say that you and I need to be willing to go beyond our own personal preferences and be willing to embrace those who may do things in a different, different way from you and I. Why? Because what you and I have done and what you and I are accustomed to is, is what has gotten us to where we are today. But what others carry is what take us beyond where we are today. We need the whole body of Christ. Go and read 1 Corinthians 12. Go and read Romans. I've forgotten the reference. 
but he also, Paul writes to the Romans, he writes to the Corinthians, and he says to them how the body is, is made up and every part does its share and every single part is important. And therefore, we need to be open to the ministry that comes through all the different parts. God sets standards. Uh, it doesn't mean, and, and like I say here, when I say we must avoid being critical and judging people, you know, but what about standards? Yes, God does set standards for those in leadership. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, don't appoint anybody or lay hands any, on anybody hastily. Let them be tested first. These people are those who carry responsibility of, of, or, and authority within the body of Christ. But the gifts of the Spirit, is, it's very clear scripturally, are given to each one for the benefit of all. Given to each one for the benefit of all. Not just those who, are, who have it all together. Not, I mean, if you look at the church in Corinth, they were flowing in the gifts of the Spirit, but they were absolutely immature and, and utterly carnal, Paul says. Now, he addresses them in that, and he starts making and putting things in order, but he never discourages them from flowing in the gifts of the Spirit. He encourages them all the more, but do it in an orderly way. And that's what Swedes of 1 Corinthians is all about. So I want to say to you, we need to be open to the gifts of the Spirit because that is God himself working and moving through those who are around us. So if these are the things we need to avoid, what should we do? Number one, listen for and wholeheartedly embrace what you sense the Spirit of God breathing on when somebody else is speaking, regardless of who it comes through. You see, again, in Jesus' example, they sensed something on what he was saying, but then they reasoned and they disqualified it all. When we sense truth coming from somebody, when we sense words that move our hearts and we recognize that God may be speaking through them, forget the vessel, take hold of what it is that God is saying. And, and, and flow with that and go with that and yield to that because that's, that's the way we cooperate with what God wants to do. Allow your heart to marvel and to enjoy what God does through others. So have that openness to recognize what God is doing even through what may be unconventional ways or vessels. We need to, if, if that's the case, we need to then for maintain a spirit of real humility towards everyone. Real humility is not to say that I'm less than everybody else or I'm not worthy. Real humility is to recognize that our value comes from Jesus, not ourselves. And therefore, our value is no more and no less than any other born-again believer. In fact, if Jesus died for the world, our value is no less or no more than any other human being. We do not become more or less valuable to God because we are born again or not born again. The price was paid for everyone, and that's the price of Jesus. Now, we don't play e place equal value on every opinion. We don't place equal value on, 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 on every train of thought. I understand that. But on the person, you see the issue here. You and I can very easily have a discussion about different thoughts and throw things around and come up with ideas together without disrespecting each other. But what I'm really trying to speak to today is that tendency that we have to disregard what somebody may say or want to do because of who they are. And I see that that is a real struggle for many within the body of Christ. Remember, God can see your heart. God looks at the heart. And you can fool men with facades and with flattery and make them feel good, but that will not release God's blessing through them to you. God is looking for sincere humility and faith, sincere honor and respect for the vessel that he sends. If we receive that person as God sends them to us, that is how we unlock what they carry for our blessing and for our benefit. We need to be also, there's, here's the other thing we really need to, be, to do. And, and this is from our part going to require a greater level of sensitivity. We need to be obedient to God's unctions and leadings without being concerned about how we may be perceived or received. You see, we're talking about receiving other people, but yet our insecurities play up in the same way. We want to be perceived in a good light, and that is called perception management. And I want to say to you, perception management is one of the greatest hindrances to life in the spirit, because life in the spirit is going to cost you your reputation. <laughs> it's not going to cost you your value, 
but it's going to cost you your reputation in the eyes of men sometimes. And when we try to man when we try to control people's perceptions of us, really what that is, it's a symptom of deep insecurity. We need to be willing to 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 be obedient to the unctions that God gives us, whether that's to a stranger, whether that's in a room, whether that's to our spouse, and say, I believe that this is what the Lord is saying, and I have a sense of this, and can I share this with you, and can we test it together? And if people think you're a complete wacko, so be it. That's okay. But I found, you know, I found that that people will either reject you outright and they'll go, okay, that's weird, um, and they withdraw from you. Either that, there's one of three responses generally, or they will receive what you share with gladness and wholehearted openness. And through that, through that act of obedience, you will have unlocked something in that person's heart towards God, enabling him to do something he's been wanting to do in them for a long time, but has been unable because of their own barriers and, and, and strongholds. And the third option is the one we really talk, we're spending so much time here speaking about tonight. You'll say something, somebody will go, hmm, okay, but you can sense it's met with great skepticism. And you can't control that. And Jesus didn't try to. And so you shouldn't either. If they look at you and think you're a loony, that's okay. They did the same to Jesus. They took him to the point of crucifying him. And I also want to say to you, be willing to make mistakes as you learn. It is okay to get it wrong. We need to be careful. We cannot be cavalier. Oh, God says this and thus saith the Lord, and you speak things over people's lives, which brings confusion. No, we need to do it in sincerity and humility, but sometimes we will get it wrong. And I also want to say, be ever ready and ever willing to proclaim God's word with boldness. When God puts an unction in your heart, we need to, we need to kind of have an attitude that says, yes, Lord, before he speaks. Lord, when you give me an unction, I will share, I will do, I will go. Because if we don't, we're going to face that moment of decision. And then we, 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 there are all kinds of other things that we're going to consider. I often say, the analogy I use on this is if I was going to go on a diet, uh, I would make some decisions before temptation comes. If you came to me and said, Michael, would you like a chocolate? And I'm not on a diet. I'd say, hmm, I'll consider that. And based on what I've eaten, what I feel like. Okay, never mind. If you came to me and said, Michael, you want to talk? I would just say yes. It wouldn't. That's the predetermined decision, most likely knowing me. But if I said I was going to be on a diet, I would have made a decision beforehand. And so no matter what you offered me, if it's a dessert or a sweet or whatever, I'm going to say thank you, but no thank you, because I've already made a decision. And we kind of need to be that way when it comes to being led by the Spirit of God and walking in the things of the Spirit. Ever ready and ever willing to proclaim God's word with boldness. And I love the story of Peter and John. After the day of Pentecost, they went into the, the temple and, and there outside was a lame man and he asked them for arms. And uh, they said they had none, despite they had four arms between them. Uh, and they said they had none, but they said, such as I have, I give unto you uh, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, arise and walk. And he did. And he went leaping and walking, walking and leaping and praising God. And we know the story, but that caused a big hullabaloo in the city. And eventually Peter and John got arrested. They uh, for, they went to jail, uh, were sent to jail to await trial, which was going to be the next day. That night, there was an angelic jailbreak. And then what happened is Peter and John went to the other believers who were praying for them. And in that moment, they carried on praying. They were praying together. And you may think these guys were just arrested. They were just threat. Perhaps their, their lives were, were, were threatened. They'd be saying... If I was them, I'd be saying, Lord, please deliver me. Father God, please protect me. What's that? Psalm 91. Let's get it out. Let's pray that through. God, help us. We're in trouble here. Hide us. But this is what they prayed. Acts 4, 29 to 30. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness we may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through your name or through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Peter and John were more concerned about glorifying God than they were about their own well-being or their own reputation. They were arising and they were shining in the midst of the setting that they were in. And they prayed for more boldness so that God's glory may shine brighter through them. Folks, this is our prayer for this time in the season. The glory of the Lord has risen upon us. 
There are signs and wonders and words and prophecies and words of encouragement that God is wanting to release through you and I. There are healings and workings of miracles that God wanting to re release through you and I. If we are willing to boldly arise and shine and be the vessel that is willing to, to, to as Jesus did, go and do the hard things, as Peter and James were willing to go. And, and, and we can also receive the grace of this anointing as it is released around us and among us as we open our hearts to those around us. So, folks, who do you think you are? That's the question I want to speak, ask you today. And maybe that maybe your answer to that question is, yo, look, I know I'm saved, but I've got these insecurities or I've got this sin I'm still grappling with. And I've got, well, my question to you is, who does God say you are? There's that revelation that Paul was praying for, for the Ephesians. I'll read you another verse from the same book, uh, Ephesians and chapter three. Jesus, Paul again prays for them, and this is what he prays. Chapter 317, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints, the width, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God to know experientially the love of Christ. Folks, who are you? I'll tell you who you are. You are the loved of God. You are the vessel of Jesus Christ, the anointed one. And he abide. if you have made him Lord of your life, he abides within you. And that makes you a commissioned disciple of the Lord. This is what Jesus said after his resurrection and before his ascension to his disciples. Matthew 28, 18 to 19. He came speak, speaking to them and said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. God is with you, precious believer. He is within you and he is with you. As soon as you put his word in your mouth, he is there and his presence is there. Mark 16, 15 to 18. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized, in other words, those who receive the message through you will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. Do you believe? These are the signs that will follow us. In the name of Jesus, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Acts 1 verse 8, right before his ascension, Jesus says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Folks, there is so much that God wants to do in our midst. There is so much that he wants to release through your life. And there is so much that he wants to release into your life. If we are willing to be those vessels to stand up and go, it's amazing what God can do through you. And if you are willing to look at those around you and have the conversations and listen to what God is saying to their hearts, there are amazing things that God wants to do in you. But it's going to require us to engage with God and with one another in a different way. To value and appreciate what each one carries as a messenger from the Lord. You see, if you go in the name of Jesus Christ and in his power, if you arise and you shine his glory, then you can say, just as Jesus did, that the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has anointed me to preach the gospel and he has sent me to bring healing to the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the forgiveness of Jesus, the year of Jubilee of all debts being broken. Now, for this to be realized, it may require some serious soul searching in God's presence. Because sometimes we get so set in our ways of just carrying the name of being a Christian 
and okay, we've got the prayer prayed and we, we're born again, but there's just so, so, so much more that God wants to bring us into. Just like with Jesus, God's desire is to send you in the power of the Holy Spirit to your family, to your church, to your workplace, that people may marvel at God's grace as they see it manifested in you. And not only that, God wants you to marvel at his grace as you see it in those around you. That's the importance of church. That's the importance of connectedness. And so I want to say to you today, folks, this is a wonderful season. It's not one that we can come into the fullness of in isolation. We need each other and we need to be open to one another. And I understand in this context, we're on the other side of the world. But you know, Sometimes I'll get I'll get sometimes I'll just share my own my own story. Sometimes I get a message from Nikki who has a gift of encouragement and she has incredible timing. She always knows just when to say what to say. And sometimes she says things and it's just to know that you're making a difference is such an encouragement. And she'll send a word through that that just lifts me up. Sometimes I'm here and Trish will make some kind of comment. Or she'll be telling a story of what's going on in her sphere and her realm of influence. And I'm challenged and I'm convicted by God, not because she's challenged me, but because of what God is doing in her and through her. And I'm blessed by that. And I'm open to, to see and to hear those kinds of things. There's so many examples of things. Sometimes Michael Weiss will phone. I remember especially when Michael, Michael and I, and I used to have these meetings in my office many years ago when he was in Cape Town. They were long. We could chat for hours. And both of us, I remember in those days, used to go about those meetings, go, go about you know, after those meetings and chew sometimes for weeks on what we'd said. And we'd often, one of the common things is, do you remember when you said, and you said, and God would minister powerfully. Now, folks, I believe that those things, want to God, that what God is breathing in this time, if he's breathing over us, which I believe he is, he's wanting to take those kinds of encounters into a supernatural level where the grace of God and the power of the Spirit are amplified through your ministry to others. God wants to use you, and God wants to use those around you. And I want to encourage you to open up your heart to those around you, to listen very carefully to what God might be wanting to say through them. And open up your heart like a satellite dish to the Holy Spirit, that you may be that vessel through which He, perhaps, wants to work a miracle wants to speak a word that will bring life and encouragement to somebody else. Amen. So our Father, that tonight as we have heard these words, sometimes it's hard for us to believe, Lord, that the greatness of your anointing that was on Jesus Christ has been freely given to every single one of us. And that within us abides a hope that you carry a hope within your heart, Lord God, that we would come into a realization of the greatness of your love and of the power that abounds to those who truly believe. And we want to say tonight, Lord God, give us boldness to step out in faith in what it is that we do truly believe. We, uh, we believe, Lord, help our unbelief. We believe, Lord God, so often we, we lack boldness. And so, Father, I want to pray tonight that you would give us a spirit of boldness, that you would encourage us, Lord, when we receive those unctions, not to second guess ourselves and go, well, who do you, who am I that I can do this? I can't do these things. Who do I think I am? And Lord God, help us not to disqualify ourselves from what you want to do through us when you have qualified us to be the carriers of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I also want to pray that you would help us to see others through your eyes that we may recognize what the beautiful and the wonderful gifts that you have placed within your body around us, that we may be open to what they carry, no matter their age, no matter their, their social status, no matter, no matter any of the qualifying or disqualifying factors we so often apply. May we have hearts of true humility that we may receive through various vessels, the wonderful grace and blessing that you desire to minister to us from so many different avenues. And God, I want to pray tonight as well for those among us, Lord, who are struggling, struggling in body, that are struggling, I think specifically of Bill, 
And Lord God, we just want to send forth your word again tonight. Lord, we are believing you for miraculous intervention. And we want to pray bold prayers tonight. And we want to come into agreement. Matthew 18, verse 18 and 19 speaks that whatever we agree upon on earth will be done for us. And so, Lord, tonight we want to come into agreement with your word that speaks complete healing and restoration of a bill. We want to pray that that would be manifest in the mighty name of Jesus. We want to pray, Lord God, that whatever reasons we create and, and, and that we manufacture that disqualify and that get in the way of your healing, Lord, that they would dissipate right now like mist in the sun, in the glory of your son. And that, Father, that you would breathe on your child, that you would send your healing power upon him in the name of Jesus. And that complete healing and restoration would be ministered to him. Father, we look to you for the things we cannot do. And we create our expectation according to the promises that you give us. And so tonight, we thank you for your intervention. We thank you for healing. We thank you, Lord, that you call us to believe you for great things. And that every promise in Jesus Christ is yes and amen. And so we claim and receive that tonight. And we thank you for your blessing. We thank you for your blessing on this word, for what you are, are doing in our hearts and lives through it, and for what you will do in the week that lies ahead. And so we thank you for this tonight. We thank you once again for Andreas and Stephen making their way home. Thank you for a safe journey, and thank you for a blessed time together tonight in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.